historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. On Saturday, August 14th, a major diplomatic crisis erupted in full magnitude between Israel and Poland. The crisis was due to the Polish president approving a controversial law that would restrict the possibility of restitution claims for property stolen from Jews by the Nazis during World War II and nationalized by the post-war communist regime. The Israeli ambassador was recalled and returned to Israel. The Polish ambassador, already on vacation in Poland, was told to stay home. Yair Lapid, the Israeli Minister of Foreign Affairs, lashed out and said the following. Poland enacted an anti-Semitic and immoral law. It is anti-democratic and not liberal. They have no respect for the biggest human tragedy in history. These words are anything but diplomatic. In order to gain a deeper understanding of the events, I invited Professor Paul Lips. Professor Paul Lips is a social historian, was on the Tel Aviv University faculty for 40 years, teaching graduate and undergraduate students in the Department of Middle East and African History and the International School, where he dealt with a wide range of topics. From the early 1990s onwards, he has visited several European countries as a scholar with American Jewish groups. The most dramatic of all of them was a study tour of Poland in 1991, when the country was in a major economic crisis after the fall of communism and the Jewish community was struggling to survive. Since then, Professor Lips has stayed in touch with events there, attending the Limud educational program, and having become close friends with participants on programs in Israel, including Polish students who studied at the International School of the Tel Aviv University. Welcome, Professor Lips. Good afternoon. How are you? Good. Thank you. So I'm going to start with the first question, and I'm going to ask you this. In June 2009, Poland signed, together with 47 other countries, the Theresen Declaration, stating, and I quote, the need to agree on measures to right economic wrongs that accompany the Holocaust against the Jews and other victims of the Nazi persecution in Europe. Now, have the Poles completely regressed, taken a step back, a hundred steps back, and basically say, nope, we don't think the Jews deserve any reparations? Well, I, I must say, firstly, the Declaration is an amazing document. But what happened with Poland was that was during the reign of the civic platform, a much more moderate government, a centrist government, under Donald Tusk. So when you say it was the whole issue ignored or forgotten, the answer is that in 2015, there was a new government. The Law and Justice Party came into power. So it's not that Poland ignored or forgot what they had signed, but rather that the new government had a totally different approach on how to deal with this whole question of Holocaust property and Holocaust needs. Tell us a little bit about this government. Is this the extreme right-wing government? It is a uh, ultra-nationalist party, which has, since 2015 until today, have basically tried to move Poland from a, a central position in Europe into the camp of the ultra-nationalists. I've heard the polls, the Polish leadership, and other polls and documents and in the papers claim that they are no less the victim of the Nazis than anybody else, of course, including the Jews. Their country was destroyed and occupied but at least 200,000 Poles basically helped the Nazis to act against the Jews, and I'm going to be blunt, helped the Nazis to kill Jews. Yet, by the way, 200,000 people, that's larger than the standing regular Israeli army today. That's a lot of people. Give us a perspective on the anti-Semitism in Poland. Anti-Semitism is deeply embedded. Uh, we find pogroms in Poland even before the First World War and certainly between the two world wars. So to imagine that uh, anti-Semitism in Poland is a modern phenomenon is totally incorrect. Correct. But if we jump ahead to 1946, a year after World War II, 
in many senses they were also victims. We cannot take that away from the Polish uh, psychology. However, as soon as the communists came into power, what happened to the Polish people, they then felt victimized, firstly under the Nazis, and then under the communists until 1989. So they have within them a deep sense of anger. To understand Polish anti-Semitism is to really understand the anger that they have, and groups that are very uh, frustrated by their reality are often the groups that look for a scapegoat. In terms of the Polish perspective, there were many events where the scapegoat concept came to the fore. Uh, 1956, as a result of the Suez campaign. Otherwise also known as the Sinai campaign, and that's when Israel had taken over the entire Sinai desert from Egypt during the 1956 war. Even more so, 1968, as a result of Israel's success in the Six-Day War. These kind of events, and I've just mentioned two of many of them, brought to the fore a very deep anti-Semitism in a totalitarian environment. And I think the point of that I've just brought up is to say one shouldn't look at all the polls through the same vision, but rather to understand that in a totalitarian environment, it is very hard for the other voices to come to the fore. Just to give what I think is an excellent starting point to understand what's going on today, is the book of Jan Gross in 2001, his famous book Neighbors, which deals with the small town of Jebwabne. Jan Gross dealt with what you brought up, and that is the Poles were deeply involved in the killing of the Jews. Jews even before the Nazis expected them to do it. So therefore what we have is a long ongoing period of anti-Semitism which only gets worse in 2015 with the radical right government. The Poles are somewhat in denial of that because in 2018 Poland enacted a law that forbids blaming them for the Holocaust at all. Um, it caused a political storm certainly in Israel. Tell us about that law and how it's viewed today. This law of 2018, by the way, 2018 is probably the year of a yet a new kind of anti-Semitism which develops. It has a whole lot of components. One is the common extended feeling of victimhood, victims under the Nazis, victims under the uh, communists. But I think the other factor is uh, with some realm of legitimate sense was that the uh, Polish people have felt that when visitors come to Poland, they look at Poland as the perpetrator. Traders. It's this kind of feeling which the Poles feel very, very deeply really brought about this uh, law that you couldn't blame the Poles in any way for the Holocaust. Certainly you couldn't use the term Polish concentration camps. You'd have to say German concentration camps in Poland. It's really part of a process for a Eurosceptic government, which we have from 2015 onwards. Anything which seems to be too liberal, too soft, uh, goes against the norm of what the government wanted. Who are the government supporters? Uh question you brought up earlier. You mean of the 200,000 Poles that were only too happy to cooperate with the Nazis against the Jews? That kind of group certainly wanted to take away any sense of responsibility from what they themselves had done or their parents or grandparents had done during the Holocaust itself. When I read the documents and the newspaper articles, etc., about what's going on in Poland and they're being in denial of their own participation of the Holocaust, it seems to me that there is an overwhelming agreement among Polish citizens as a matter of fact, when the Polish Prime Minister said in a rally May 2019, and I quote, if Poland pays restitution to Jews, it'll mark Hitler's victory 
after his death. And it seems to me there's an overwhelming Polish agreement to this. Do you agree to this or no? I think there are two components to, to that important question. Insecure governments, insecure countries tend often to go to extremes. So I put that in a category of some sort of global behavior. But the other factor is that the Poles really have not faced their history. Among a very significant number of Poles, um, you know, we are not to blame, get off our backs, and we're very angry about it. I think we also have to recognize at that very same time that what the opposition would like to say, they cannot say when you have a totalitarian government. Essentially, when you're in a non-democratic environment, it is very dangerous for you to bring up an alternative narrative. I'm pretty sure there's about 30,000 Jews living in Poland now as a Jewish community in Poland. There's even a Jewish community center in Krakow, which I actually had the pleasure of visiting with a group of Jewish uh, leaders from Boston. Why is the Jewish Polish community quiet? The chief rabbi, uh, Shudrych, tries to tone everything down. When you're that minority group, you're a minority of a minority, by the way. There are very few minorities in Poland. It's a xenophobic society in many senses. But the Jews are that obvious minority. And to stand up and make a clear statement against the government is a risk. And we have to accept that it's not because they want to be quiet, but because it's very risky. There's another point which I think is, is valuable. Because sometimes people living in Israel would say, well, if things are bad, come to live in Israel. But for many of the Jews in Poland, regular daily living isn't too bad. You mentioned the JCC in Krakow. In Warsaw, there's the JCC there. There are a lot of Jewish activities going on in Poland today. The ADL, Anti-Defamation League statistic of 2019, says that 48% of Poles are anti-Semitic. Does that mean that those people are out to kill or really hurt the Jews? The answer is no. Much of the anti-Semitism is an anger, historical anger. Uh, the overwhelming majority of Poles, somewhere in the figure of 90%, have never even met a Jew. So anti-Semitism is the word, but there are different kinds of anti-Semitism. Cruel, violent anti-Semitism is what you don't find in Poland. It's much more of, let's call it, a mental anti-Semitism. As an Israeli, and I think in Jews in general, to hear that the Poles are angry at the Jews is like a terrible joke. Um, you know, there were 3.3 million Jews that lived in Poland. 3 million of those 3.3 million were murdered. I, I heard somewhere that maybe about up to 18% of all land in Poland was actually owned by Jews pre-Holocaust. And I guess my question to you is, what's your opinion? What's your view on the restitutions from Poland? Will this happen or is this just a non-starter? I don't think Jews will get back property. But I think there are a number of important components. Already in 1946, the recognized Jewish community, not a very strong one, really brought up the issue of return of property to the Jewish people. There was a, a genuine problem. As you mentioned, three million Jews had been killed. When even a sympathetic government might have wanted to return the property, and certainly the communists were not sympathetic, but even if the communists had been sympathetic, who do you give it to? Now, the Polish bureaucracy works very slowly, and I've met people who for years and years and years have been trying to get back the family property. The Poles were certainly not interested in it. The Polish government, a right-wing xenophobic government, is clearly unlikely to get any votes from their population, from their voting population, by handing over territory to the Jews. They wouldn't want to hand over territory or homes to anyone, how much more so to this one small minority in their country. 
Professor Lips, thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to reach out to Professor Lips, he welcomes the possibility of giving Zoom presentations to communities. You can reach him at PLIPTZ at gmail.com. That's PLIPTZ at gmail.com. Thank you again. Thank you. Is the issue at hand really just about restitution? Or is it just about the right of survivors still with us to live with personal dignity and have their social welfare needs addressed? Or is it about the comprehension of the world community, specifically the European community, of the need to enshrine for the benefit of the future generations the unique history of the Holocaust? Or perhaps most of all, as quoted in a Theresian agreement mentioned before, to recognize the rise of anti-Semitism and Holocaust denial and to react by combating anti-Semitism. I started this episode with Israeli Foreign Minister Yair Lapid's words of unequivocal condemnation. Even though he's the number one diplomat in Israel, he named the Polish government's actions as anti-democratic and anti-Semitic. He said it bluntly and without hesitation, probably because his father, Tommy Lapid, a survivor, educated him to never appease anti-Semitism. In a speech a few years ago at Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Moral Museum in Jerusalem, Tommy Lapid said the following, the viruses of the fatal disease known as anti-Semitism have developed antibodies that are not impressed by the lessons of the past events and do not accept today's norms. Instead, they lie in wait for the day when evil will come again, rearing its head. Look, as an Israeli, it is clear to me that if Poland or any other xenophobic regime reverts to looking for scapegoats in order to gain popularity among their willingly ignorant or to find an imaginary common enemy in the Jews to boast their own twisted nationalistic image, it'll be met by a strong, unappeasing state of Israel. If you like Inside Israel podcasts, please subscribe, follow, and share with others. You can access all of our episodes on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon Podcast, and more. You can also access the episodes on our website, insideisrael.fm.